to make a little program note. Um, unfortunately, Lori Roden cannot be here. Her flight was canceled in Southwest. You know how that goes. Um, but Lisa Ellsworth, thank you so much um, for filling in. And that was one of Daddy's favorite songs that she would sing when uh, they were here at the church uh, years ago. And um, we thank you for that. Um, I wanted to speak a little bit. We are doing a little reflection on family. Um, so I wanted to speak a little bit about Daddy. And I'm going to read this because he would want me to. Uh, legend has it that when Daddy was preaching for the pastor's search committee to this church in 1980, much to my mother's horror, he started his sermon with, I feel like a mosquito in a nudist colony. I don't know where to begin. <laughs> but that's how this feels. You know, where do you begin talking about Daddy? There's so much we could say, but he was a man of brevity, and I want to honor that. His sermons were exactly 25 minutes long, from 11.20 to about 11.45, and we were out. Um, and when he wasn't busy with his ministry, Daddy was present in our lives. He let us play barber with what little hair he had, uh, board games that he would never let us win because he was always out for blood. He was not one of those parents who let you win. He taught it was a life lesson. He would tell us crazy stories from his life growing up in Lakeland and Bradenton and dance with us in our big living room that we had over there and make up goofy songs and stories and, unfortunately, jokes. So sorry for that. And uh, Daddy liked to shoot guns and play with fire and fireworks. Police officers, please shut your ears. Um, he loved to go to the gun range, but if he had firecrackers, we knew and we were in for a good time. Um, I will never forget the time uh, we were down here visiting at 4th of July, and Daddy and our family friend Lisa were outside shooting off firecrackers and such like they like to do. Daddy decided to take his gunpowder, because he, he had a homemade pistol that he would you know, have to put the gunpowder in. He decided to take the gunpowder and make a line on the sidewalk and see what happens when they lit it. <laughs> I can't do justice for the joy that he had on his face when it, yeah amazing. And he wasn't, when he wasn't telling his awful jokes that I apologize on behalf of the family for those, um, he loved to try to scare people. Um, Tim, Ho uh, Tim Hopkins and Doug Nolan, how many times did he turn the light off in the bathroom up there when y'all were, yes. Um, but on the flip side, you could always scare the daylights out of him very easily. Oh, and Ben too, Ben. <laughs> Uh, especially if he was sleeping, we always would uh, try to say, you know, you go wake him up. No, you go wake him up because we were scared that he was, you would be more scared than he would be. Awful. But Daddy loved us unconditionally. He would encourage us our, in our talent, our interests, and discourage us when needed with his white 70s double bezel belt. Y'all remember that? Yeah. Um, and he was always so proud of us and would brag on us to everybody constantly until the grandkids came along but I digress. We were forgotten then. Uh, when I went off to college, he would, write my he would write me letters, and he would encourage me and give me advice and then write his crazy off-the-wall stuff that he's so known for. And I still have every one of those letters. Um, and he would always sign our letters and our birthday cards, love your earthly father. There's a reason for that. When I was in the thick of raising it and care, you know, raising and caring for our, my babies and I was overwhelmed with it all, I'd call home and talk to mother, and then he'd get on the phone and encourage me by telling me that I was a wonderful mother and that he was so proud of me, and then he wanted to talk to the grandkids. <laughs> I digress. Daddy loved people. You all know that. He loved people. He could talk to anyone. He never met a stranger. Through watching him all these years, he showed me how to connect with people and how to do our best to love people like Jesus loved. He would jump in, jump to it anytime anyone needed him, even if it was in the middle of the night. If someone called, he would go. Family vacations were quite often cut short because a church member would inevitably pass, pass away and he'd have to come home. Um, he was the epitome of a Christ follower who served sacrificially. Daddy's servant heart is something to be admired, cherished, and imitated by all of us. These sacrifices had an impact on our family, but I, looking back, I would not change a thing. We knew that what he was doing was a high calling from God, and he did his best. He entered heaven hearing those words, well done, my faithful servant. He pointed us to our heavenly father by being the best earthly father a girl could have. 
the best daddy ever. Thank you. Bonnie Autry, the other favorite daughter. <laughs> Thank you very much. We will. We joked often that we were going to get shirts for holidays that said the favorite because the truth is that we were all his favorite, and you know that. On behalf of our family, we would like to thank all of you who are here today, not only for all of the support throughout all of the years, but especially in these last few months as he was not doing well. Your prayers have been felt. Your love has been felt, and your support was definitely felt. Um, I would also like to thank, on behalf of our family, Dr. Ash, otherwise known as Uncle Ash. Dr. Ash was our daddy's cardiologist, therapist, and friend. God used your hands. I don't know where you are. Wave at me. Uh, he's, you're not going to like this. God used your hands to give us these last 11 years with him. And we are very, very, very grateful. There was a time that we thought 11 years ago, those would be our last moments, and Uncle Ash showed up. That is not my alarm. <laughs> Uncle Ash showed up in the hospital and met us in the elevator and said, don't worry, don't worry, I got it, I got it. And you did, and we thank you. I want to thank our mother for taking care of him so well and serving him well to the very end. He knew that you were always, always, always there for him, just like you've always been there for us. And we know that it's not been easy, but what we also know about you is that you would do it a hundred times over and over and over again. I understand to be able to celebrate the man that he was is a rare and precious gift. There are not many people who could stand here today and have a hard time coming up with such words. Penny and I discovered this morning that we were both mentioning his salutation today, your earthly father, me. I have been reflecting over the past few months of how well and uniquely he loved each of us in our home. He was always ridiculously proud of any achievement, great or small, or any talent, and he was so graciously forgiving and forgetting of all of our failures. I was thinking one day several weeks ago, I can't ever remember a time that I felt judged by my father. I don't know that he even remembered the times that I must have disappointed him, that I must have made him feel less than he was. He always made us feel like we were just okay, and it was all okay. He was a true example of God's loving grace and mercy. I would say that he came about as close as any earthly father could to loving us as our Heavenly Father does. I will never understand why he had to endure so much pain and suffering in these last years of his life. It just did not seem fair. And oftentimes we would cry out to the Lord on his behalf and say, Really? Are you sure? Are you sure? But today, I want to leave you with his words that we found in his Bible most of you, I would almost say all of you in this room, have heard him say and preach these from this very spot at some point in your life. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I don't know why some people never give a thought to or about God, but seem to do so well. Here's what I do know. We have a great and mighty God. He never breaks his promises. He is absolutely, completely honest and trustworthy. If you trust him, you will not be disappointed. He will educate you. Thank you for educating us, Daddy, so well. Hi, everyone. I'm Anna, the favorite granddaughter, the favorite. <laughs> The first granddaughter, the favorite granddaughter. I, my mom mentioned that after they had kids, they were forgotten about. That is very true. We are very well loved. Um, I have the privilege to be one of Ray's grandchildren, uh, but I am one of the cool people who know him as Pa or as Grandpa. 
Uh, Paul was the, you'll hear this a million times today, but Paul was the most loving servant I've ever known. A life dedicated to the service of God and his people. Uh, we are fortunate enough to know someone who lived out the gospel day in and day out. Um, I find that funerals tend to be either very sad or very happy, but still sad. But I think this one can be a challenge to all of us, to me and to all of you, to live a life as he did. It is not easy, um, as Judy of Magu, her name's Magu. As Magu knows, um, it is not easy. But I think we can take from today that we can live as he did. Um, of course, he wasn't perfect. Uh, he cheated at poker. I know he did. Uh, but we could take those examples he gave to us to live as he did. Um, so on a lighter note, uh, I wanted to share some of the funny stories. Uh, being a grandkid of Pa, uh, there are many things that happened. Uh, some of these are really weird, so just bear with me. Uh, one time, I was 13. Uh, Magu thought I had lice. Uh, but before Magu could say she does not have lice, he was already at the store and brought back a giant bag. Do you remember this? A giant bag of all kinds of treatments. We did not need them, but he had already left. Um, he taught me how to play poker and then won every single round. How do you win at poker every single round? I don't know. I think he cheated. Um, we had many funny sayings and chants uh, we were talking about them this morning, and one of them, we, we thought, and I didn't know that not everyone called a reception after a funeral. I thought it was always called a grief buffet. Apparently, that's our, our family thing. <laughs> I thought that was an everybody thing. But then, you know, in this family, you say things, and they just catch on, and I just, I just thought that was, that's what it was. Um, whenever you would call him, he would answer, Ray's pool hall, eight ball speaking. <laughs> Uh, my favorite chant that I learned, uh, rah, rah, re, kick him in the knee, rah, rah, rass, kick him in the other knee. <laughs> and one that we all know very well, made the bird of paradise fly up your nose. <laughs> so we learned to keep it light and to be silly. Uh, he never took himself too seriously. And I think that can be really difficult to do in ministry. Um, but I think we've learned that we're here to have fun. Why, what else are we going to do? We can share the gospel, and we can have fun doing it. Thank you. Oh, hello. My name is Jason. I am the least favorite son-in-law. So I'm going to... So. I have no idea why I'm here or, or standing up here. Um, other than this, I uh, remember one Christmas, me and Bonnie came down here uh, to spend with uh, Ray and Jeannie, and um, we got down here on Christmas Eve, and we got down here early on Christmas Eve, which I greatly regret, and you'll, you'll know what I mean after I finish the story. Um, and we got to the house, and uh, Becky and Bonnie had a, you know, kind of a conspiracy to get me to sing with them. Uh, here on the Christmas Eve service. Uh, I didn't want to. I mean, it was either, I guess, me or Tim. I mean, they needed, you know, somebody, and, you know, that wasn't going to happen. And so, um, and so they blackmailed me into doing this. And so we came here, we, we practiced, um, and, uh, and we sang. Well, Bonnie and Bonnie sang. And, uh, and I sang too, and um, sort of. And we, we left and, you know, did the thing, and, and then got back to the house, and uh, we all sat down, and I sat down in, on the couch, and Ray sat down in his chair, and uh, he looked at me, and uh, in only the way that, that Ray could, he said, Jason, don't sing at my funeral. <laughs> so, so I'm going to talk for a second <laughs> and not sing. Um, I'm going to read to this is uh, Ray made an indelible impact on my life. I'm thankful to not only have been his son-in-law, but to, uh, to have known him and to have been affected by who he was as a person, as a pastor, and uh, he was my friend. Let me read this. Ray is an extraordinary person. He's a father figure to me. Is I never really had one to speak of. He inspired me. As a faithful minister of the gospel, 
for over 45 years and pastor of this church, First Baptist Scottysville, for an unprecedented 30 of them. Hang in there with me. I know he was a pastor for longer. Ray is involved in his community as a police and hospital chaplain where he has touched the lives of multiple officers, nurses, doctors, and victims. In the meantime, he's been married to the same woman for over four decades, parented four children, and blessed him with seven grandchildren. Ray is an example to all who know him, and quite possibly one of the humblest, most Christ-like individuals I've ever known. Ray has remained strong, and he's steadied himself to bear the brunt of much pain that has come to him personally and to his family. And although he has had more bad days than good at times in his life, each opportunity I have with him, somehow he ends up encouraging me. What a man. I wrote those words on Father's Day of 2009. And I told a few people today, and I've, I've said this recently in the last couple of days, that Ray Johnson was the most consistent person I think I ever met, ever knew, and ever had the privilege to be around in my life. He was the same all the time. So the words of 2009 were the same words and held the same truth, the same veracity in this moment as we all say goodbye to him and celebrate his life. And I'm just thankful for who he was, who who he always would be. So before I struggle, I'm going to read something that I've been asked to read. All, it's already been said so many times that, hey, you know all the jokes, you know the stories. You probably know three or four different iterations of those stories and jokes. Uh, you know, I feel like he told me several in different ways. Um, so maybe you heard this one in a different way. Uh, but I'm going to read this to you, and, you, uh, you know, chances are we've all shared uh, in this particular laugh, and hopefully we can share this one again. And this is called, A Man is Born with a Golden Screw in His Belly Button. <laughs> or navel, which is the synonym. Um, yes, navel. All throughout his life, this man wonders why he was born with a golden screw. The pursuit of the answer consumes him. He quits his job, he leaves his family, and goes out in search of the answer. He travels to medical professionals, wise men, shamans, seers, mystics, sages, to no avail. One day he hears of a hermit who lives in a mountaintop in the far reaches of the Andes Mountains. He travels to the mountaintop where the hermit is reputed to live and begins the trek up. When he reaches the top, he finds the hermit meditating in his cave. And the man says to him, I have been searching my entire life for the answer to the question, perhaps, that you can help me with. And the hermit answers, well, what is your question? The man tells the hermit of the golden screw and asks him why. What does it do? Well, why don't you unscrew it? The hermit mutters and, and hands the man a screwdriver. Stunned that he hadn't considered this option before, the man begins unscrewing the golden screw from his navel slash belly button. He unscrews and unscrews and he unscrews and he unscrews and he unscrews some more. He keeps unscrewing until his wrists and his hands are completely numb. He unscrews and he unscrews and he unscrews and eventually his butt falls off. kind of homesick for the country where I've never 
just across the river where my faith will end inside there's just a few more days to labor and time won't Early last Saturday morning, <clears throat> Jeannie sent a message on Facebook Messenger uh, letting me know that Ray's time was short. And um, it was early. My wife wasn't up yet. I was sitting in our RV trailer. We were at Seminole State Park in southwest Georgia. We gathered there for a family reunion on my mother's side. And I did as I've been doing every day for the last nine years. Um, I opened up Don Carson's For the Love of God and took note of the four scriptures for the day and did my reading. The, as I read them, the thoughts about Ray were just kind of ringing around in my head. And, um, and so it's interesting how that shaped how I read and how those scriptures impacted me that day. So... Um, in the spirit of transparency, um, I, I need to confess that one of those scriptures was Leviticus, <coughs> excuse me, Leviticus 24, and uh, I skipped that one uh, because, well, Leviticus. <laughs> so, <coughs> but the other three <laughs> were Psalm 31, Ecclesiastes 7, and 2 Timothy 3, and so. Um, thoughts about those and about Ray will be the framework that I will use this afternoon. I want to begin with Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and um, it's, it's a weird scripture, trust me, but nonetheless, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that's the end of all men. And the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by a, sound, uh, by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. 
The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Contrary to all the things you might have heard today, well, not contrary, but this is a, a different kind of take on it, Ray was a sober man. And by that, I don't mean that he didn't drink, because he's a Baptist minister, for goodness sake. But, <laughs> but by that, I mean to say that he was a serious man. Maybe one of the smartest men I've ever met. He was really bright. But he was a serious person, which is not the same thing as saying that Ray was somber, because you heard that today. He was definitely not somber. He loved a good joke. He didn't know any, but he loved it. (laughs) You know what's worse than dad jokes? Preacher dad jokes. (laughs) Trust me, my girls will tell you that. But back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I think what what the, the writer was saying was that to know the truth about life, to know that life ends here, to know that life is not forever, that this earthly journey has an end point, gives a sense of perspective and purpose to all the rest of your life that makes real joy and real happiness possible. You can't find that in the house of mirth. But understanding this lends real possibility and purpose to your life. Knowing that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Give account of this life, knowing that this life is incredibly brief, even if you live to be 81 years old. To know real joy in life, one needs to go to the house of mourning. To know the truth about life, you must understand that death is the truth about life. We're not long past Easter, that time when we as Christians celebrate the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our Lord, and because of this, the writer of the book of Hebrews said that he has rescued us from the fear of death, which has kept us in bondage all of our lives. Paul writes that because of this, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. As Penny said on Tuesday when we met together, she said, we're going to laugh and we're going to cry, and that's okay because we know how to hold sorrow and joy at the same time. You don't know that if you haven't been to the house of mourning. You don't know that if you don't understand that this is the way of all of us. Death is the reality of life. So understanding the seriousness of days like today, living in the light of the end of life, actually brings the possibility of real joy, real life. Ray knew that well. He knew the serious side of life, but he loved to crack jokes, obviously. But no one in ministry very long is shielded from the heartbreak, the tragedies of those in his care, the coming back from vacation because of a death, the deaths, the family troubles, the absurdity of bearing all that only to deal with fights about the color of the carpet. Ministers know such things. That sobriety from living in the house of mourning with the certainty of death in view is what helps to take other things lightly, much less seriously. It's what enabled him at nearly every one of his frequent hospital stays to say, did I ever tell you the one about... I hadn't heard the navel one. I hate I missed that. The second um, scripture, Psalm 31, I want to illustrate by that that Ray was a faithful man. You've already heard that today. Few things refine the soul as does adversity. It's not hard to trust God when everything's going well, when all the bills are paid, when you're in good health and, you know, the prime of life. It's not hard to trust God in those kinds of days, but how will you fare? when the rug is pulled out from under you. The psalmist David is in a spot, and he calls out for God's help in Psalm 31, perhaps certain because 
He trusted in God that God would come through and keep him from harm. He said, you're my rock and my fortress. And brimming with confidence, he says, you're my strength. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. You have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities and not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You set my feet in a wide place. But then the mood changes dramatically. Verse 9, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. I'm forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel. It's been said that faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Ray and Jeannie know testing. They know well the deep grief that comes from the death of a child. When he spoke of Becky, his daughter, the air was just heavy with it. He missed her so. The pain was so deep. And yet, he remained faithful. And so was God. Like the psalmist, Ray learned by experience that God is close to the brokenhearted. Listen to verse 19. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you've laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust you. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness. For I said in my haste, I'm cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Chief Lau, I, I just wonder how many people that Ray touched in his ministry as a police department chaplain and a volunteer chaplain at the hospital, his ministry here at the church, how many people were blessed because out of his brokenness, he was able to provide such comfort to those who were broken. And finally, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to say that Ray was a man of the word. 2 Timothy is Paul's second letter to the young Timothy. Central to his counsel is a reminder about the dangerous times that he might find himself in. And he says, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying its power. Have you watched the news lately? Sounds kind of like that. In spite of all that, he says, Timothy, you are to lean on the word of God, continuing the things you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from a childhood you've known the holy scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, he says, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Ray Johnson was a man of the word. He believed it, and as others have testified, he lived it. Even at home, when nobody but family saw, he lived it there. How wonderful is that? They were talking about his Bible, and, and they said something the other day that one passage they thought it was Ephesians, that Ray had made a note that sounded just like the way he talked, and it just said, don't do it. <laughs> Can you hear that? Can you hear his voice? Don't do it. Ray had one of those messed up Bibles, the kind with underlines and highlights and notes. Jeannie said that his notes sounded just like him. I'm not surprised by that, but what, what I wanted to say about that is that people with messed up Bibles tend to have lives that aren't. Amen? 
who proclaimed the gospel at Baptist churches in Dawson, Georgia, Metairie, Louisiana, in Florida. He served at Newberry, St. Petersburg, Gainesville, Pahokee, before coming here to Titusville. Here in this very pulpit, he proclaimed the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ for 33 years. At a minimum, that's 17,000, excuse me, 1,700 messages. At a minimum, that's just Sunday morning. You add all the other times, it's going to be more than that. Because of his faithful proclamation of the word, many were won to the gospel. Many believed on Jesus because of his preaching and God using him to share the word. Many more were encouraged. With that, I want to say well done, good and faithful servant. You fought a good fight. You finished the race. You kept the faith. And even though you liked wearing Florida Gator shirts, what a wonderful man. What a wonderful, wonderful man. What a treasure and what a pleasure it has been to have gotten to know him just a little bit. And he will raise you up on eagles' wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. You who dwell in the shelter of the Lord, who abide in his shadow of life, say to the Lord, my refuge, my rock in whom I trust, and he will raise you up on eagles' wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. The snare of the fowler will never capture you. The famine will bring you no fear. Under his wings your refuge, his faithfulness your shield. And he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. You need not fear the terror of the night, nor the fall about you, fear you it shall not come, and he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. For to his angels he's given a command to guard you in all of your ways. 
dash to dash your foot against a stone. Join me on this last chorus, everyone. And he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. Thank you, Lord, that you have made us in your image so we have the opportunity to get a glimpse of you through the image bearers that we meet here. We thank you that through the image that you pressed onto Ray, we learned a lot. We learned a lot about your love. We learned a lot about your forgiveness. We learned a lot about your grace. I want to thank you, Lord, for creating such a special man for sending him our way, for granting him and placing him in a loving family that got a chance up close and personal to know his love. And in so, they got a chance to glimpse God's own love for us. Thank you, Lord, for that love that Ray, that Ray was such a good example of. We want to bless him today, honor him today, we pray, O oh God, that you receive him into your care, into your bosom, where there isn't more sickness or sorrow or pain or death, but only joy forever in your presence. We bless him. We bless his memory. Now, God, we pray also that you would wrap your arms around his family. They're going to miss the jokes, the hugs, the love. Strengthen them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.